interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. This is Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Good Saturday morning. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday. Stu Kearns, your host. Glad to have you along. And we are ensconced in the football season. We've got uh, uh, all kinds of uh, Saturday fun. And I know if you probably noticed last week, uh, there was no friendly fire because of football pregame, because this is your voice of the Huskers. And uh, so always remember that uh, you're either going to hear at seven o'clock, you're either going to hear me or if it's an 11 o'clock kickoff, you're going to hear a Husker pregame starting right there at seven o'clock on Saturdays. And that's going to go through the rest of the fall. And if you're like me, hey, I'm a big Husker fan. Okay, here's a little secret. If I could listen to me or the Huskers, which would I listen to? Sorry, I'd listen to the Huskers. I'd, I'd rather hear what's happening and uh, be a part of that uh, fun. And so, uh, as we say, used to say in the old days, you can't solder your dial anymore like you used to in the old days. But just don't move it. Just leave it at 1,400 or 99.993. And, uh, and listen to KLIN and especially listen to the Huskers. And uh, and know that uh, I'll be watching and listening along. We'll be well, we'll be suffering along the way, and maybe once in a while we'll be rejoicing. But remember this, folks: it's only a game. <laughs> only a game. What am I saying here? It's no, it really is. I keep reminding myself: it's only a game. It's only a game. It's only a game. And someday when I die, it'll be true that I'll realize that's true. But in the meantime, I'm working on it. It's great to have in studio with me somebody I met just a few weeks ago. Uh, who uh, has a new ministry, which we're going to talk about. Uh, but we're also going to get to know him a little bit. His name is Max Chapman. How are you doing, Max? Doing great. How are you doing, Steve? Doing great. You know, by the way, you're off to a wonderful start because Max is the name of my only grandson. Oh, praise God. Yeah. So is it is Max short for anything or is it just Maxwell? Max? Oh, it is Maxwell. Yeah, Maxwell. Okay. He's just Max. Sure. <laughs> so there's, there's no, there is no anything added on to it or anything uh-huh. like that. Yeah. Um, we met a while ago and just real briefly, we're going to get back to more mercy, but what you're doing right now is something called more mercy. Give me, give me the 30 second elevator pitch and then we'll, we'll get back to it a little bit later. Sure. So more mercy is a Catholic ecumenical ministry. So basically it's kind of a hybrid with the diocese of Lincoln where, um, you know, the Bishop of the diocese of Lincoln has given us his blessing to, um, you know, start this ministry here. He's appointed a, you know, a priest to serve as his representative on our board of directors to give us some credibility when we approach non-Catholic Christian communities on behalf of the Catholic church. And our hope is really to restore Christian unity through truth and love at the local level between Catholic communities and other Christian communities of different faith traditions. So a lot of what this ministry entails is, you know, really a lot of networking and connecting with different Christian leaders from different faith traditions, and hence where we got to you know, grab coffee a few weeks ago, and yeah, it's off to a great start so far. Oh, that's great. That's great. We will talk about that more a little bit. It was interesting. So we had coffee, and we, I'm learning all about stuff, and we're having a great chat, and then just as we're headed toward the car, then, because you just very casually mentioned, it's like, well, yeah, you know, I played some football, and uh, so... <laughs> And you mentioned something about the Chicago area. So I think I said something to the effect of, so did you play for Northwestern? And your answer was? Yes, I did play for Northwestern. You did. And then we we got into some of the nitty-gritty of that, some of the yep. details. So that was whatever, 12 to how many years ago? So I played from 2011 to 2016. Yeah. Yep. And there was a really interesting game. There were several <laughs> interesting games. But one of those games was uh, the famous Ron Kellogg yep. uh, last-second 
this never works. Ah, it worked. Uh-huh. Uh, 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 for they call it the Hail Mary. Uh-huh. Uh, I guess uh, again because we're throwing up a prayer. Yep. And we're gonna we're gonna see if it sticks. And, and tell me about your involvement in that. Well, so yeah, I that was actually my first time ever to Lincoln, Nebraska. So, you know, I've lived here for a number of years now, but that was my uh, you know, the red carpet rolled out for me to be welcomed to to Lincoln was that game and. Um, yeah, it was my, I think, redshirt sophomore year at the time, and the guy ahead of me had gotten hurt the previous week, and so that was actually one of my first games that I actually got a lot of playing time in. I was in the regular rotation. I was a defensive lineman, and mm. yeah, it was a thrilling experience, amazing atmosphere. I mean, even I remember, um, you know, being the visiting team, you get to sit there in the tunnel, and you get to watch the whole tunnel walk thing happen, and yeah. oh, it's, I mean, a really fun experience, and it almost feels like a uh, a Jedi mind trick of how kind the fans are because you know you go to some places won't name you know which campuses or you know teams are out there but sometimes the fans can be a little bit rude but here it's you know, you know hope you have a great game guys we're wishing the best for you you know we're praying for you just really kind things in the tunnel like wow you're killing us with kindness right now and and so the the game was I mean it was a ton of fun um, then as we got down to the end obviously it was a very close game and. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was actually the game that I had my first career sack. So, you know, it was third and long, fourth quarter, that final drive, and um, thought that it was potentially a game-winning sack. I was really excited about it. Um, and then go for it on fourth down, Nebraska gets it. A couple plays later, there's a Hail Mary that happens. And honestly, I think it's pretty hilarious looking back at it because, you know, my first time ever to Lincoln, Nebraska, I lose in a football game, you know, because of a Hail Mary. And then I get sent here to serve as a Catholic missionary for a number of years and end up working for the Catholic Church here. And it's I don't know. It's, it's just funny to see how all these things kind of come full circle. And yes, yeah, I got. Well, God does have a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. The uh, there. Well, okay, I was at that game, and I was there with <laughs> one of my pastor buddies and his daughter. And I think it may have been her first game or something. But they, you know, didn't much. I was kind of along the way. I'd kind of explain a little bit here and there and yep. what's going on. And at the end of the game, then not only did you think it was a game-winning sack, basically a stadium of ninety thousand people thought it was a game-winning sack too. Yep. So we're like, and so I'm just kind of consoling them. I said, well, you know, we tried hard. We played hard. And it's just like, well, we're down this last play. Sometimes they call us a Hail Mary. It's just, you know, I, you never know, but it's, but it's not going to work because uh-huh. they don't, they don't, they hardly ever work. Yep. And, and so just be ready, be prepared to be disappointed. And I, I mean, I'm literally saying these things <laughs> as, as probably most of the people in the stadium are. And then all of a sudden it's like, what it worked uh-huh and it ne- and of course then they had to review it right yep. is he really in the end zone and he really was yep. he really was yep so it, that was now that was just the beginning of your career though so you continued sure. to play and yeah so i mean i, I had got the chance to play for you know, that was my redshirt sophomore year i played for five years at northwestern and yeah i mean mm-hmm. it was an incredible experience i really loved yeah. it and yeah, always very fond of whenever I had the chance to come to Lincoln, Nebraska. Again, similar to the reasons why I said before, it's just the the atmosphere, the fans. Yeah. It was always you know a very welcoming place, and yeah. loved it. It was interesting. A friend of mine, another ministry colleague, is from uh, Michigan, and uh, so he, we went to the Nebraska-Michigan game years ago, mm-hmm. and we actually somehow beat them because they whatever. I think Michigan didn't play very well, but in any case, we beat them. And so the, and it was a cold game, so we're all geared up, and he's got his Michigan gear, and he was just ready for everyone to just mock him and ridicule him and taunt him and all that kind of stuff, and nobody did. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he was just like, "What? what is this? this I, I, you know, if I go to Ohio State, I'm going to get you know, totally. Uh-huh. And so you've been to all the Big Ten schools. Are, are some, some more friendly, some less friendly? Some are definitely more friendly, some are less friendly. And yeah. I'll probably just leave it at that. I don't want to <laughs> start, you know, naming names of specific schools that had poor experiences. But. Well, but we we know 
what they are, right? I mean, <laughs> is does it rhyme with Michigan? Uh, or no, or... honestly, okay, I will say this: um, Michigan had one of the most incredible um, waves that I've ever seen. So mm. not only was it you know typical where you see the wave goes you know around pretty fast, yeah, wave yeah. goes around pretty slow. But then there was one point where the wave broke up into two and was going in opposite directions. And it was like, boom. And when the wave would cl- like connect, they would go back to the other side. And it was almost this pendulum thing. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy cool. And I mean, I think we lost that game 38 to nothing. So maybe it was yeah. because we were looking at the, the cool wave that was happening. But uh... Well, you had, to, you had to find some joy somewhere. Sure. You know? <laughs> and that's what, that's what Husker football is trying to do, trying to find some joy again. Uh-huh. We were talking about, uh, uh, before we taped here, we were talking about uh, Matt McMasters and, and his experience growing up actually as a fan yes. of your team, yep. as a child in, in Chicago. Yep. As a, how did Matt do on his, on his Northwestern? Oh, he did uh, still, I mean, it was incredible. I mean, he was, you know, sharing about how he, uh, you know, had watched Northwestern games from when he was really young. He's mentioned, you know, yeah. 11, 13 years old. He's watching and going to some of the games and yeah. yeah, I mean, that was awesome. I mean, his history, his knowledge, I mean, he quite literally knew yeah. some of Northwestern football history better than some of the college students that I knew when I went to school there. So yes, it was great. Yes. Now, one last thing about football, then we're going to next segment, we're going to get into actually the <laughs> ministry here, but, uh, the, uh, uh, to meet you, and if people want to see a picture, they can go on the Friendly Fire uh, Facebook page, and sure. you can see the picture. Uh, but you're you're quite thin. You're, uh-huh. you're I mean, very fit, trim. Yep. And, and I don't usually associate that with D lineman. Sure. <laughs> so, uh, so what is the transformation like to become a D lineman? Oh wow. And and what's it been like now to kind of revert to uh, again a very healthy? You're sure. a big guy. I mean, whatever. Uh-huh. You're, are you six three or yeah, around six three. Yeah. yeah. So it's not like you're a small guy, but uh-huh. but you're not like you know D lineman. Uh-huh. I don't think you're probably two ninety <laughs> anymore. Uh-huh. Sure. What, yeah. What was that like to to bulk up that way and then to unbulk? It was very difficult. I mean, gaining weight was definitely one of the most difficult aspects of football for me. I remember um my roommate and I, we were our freshman sophomore year, we were both um on this weight gain program and yeah, I mean, it felt like if I missed a meal, I, you know, I'd you know, drop several pounds or something, you know. And so I just would mm. constantly have to be eating and both of us we held each other accountable. We'd set alarms at you know, 3 a.m. in the middle of the night. We'd eat a pe- couple peanut butter sandwiches, drink a Gatorade protein shake and go back to bed. And I mean, it was it's seriously exhausting trying to eat, you know, the calorie intake. And so I think when I was done with football, I was honestly thrilled. You know, I'd wake up in the morning and I wouldn't, you know, have this massive breakfast. I'd just eat a bowl of cereal. Give me some Cocoa Krispies and I'd love mm. it. I'd be pumped and, you know, have a normal lunch. Give me one sandwich. That's fine. Thank you. I, you know, I'll move on with my day. And the, you know, so I ended up dropping probably 60, 65 pounds over the, you know, honestly, the first probably six or seven months after being wow. done playing wow. really because I just wasn't, working out and eating in the same way that I needed to, to maintain that weight. Yeah. Yeah. You see now, if it would have been me, I have the <laughs> gift of gaining weight. Sure. <laughs> so I could have just, I wouldn't even have to wake up. I could have just like, had a dream about the food and I would have gained the weight. <laughs> so that's, it was, we, I'm sure it'll catch up to me at some point. Oh man. That is uh well, God bless you for having a good metabolism. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a good thing. We're going to take a first break and then we're going to come back and we're not, not going to talk about silly Husker stuff and football stuff. We're going to talk about real stuff. So just stay right where you are. Freshen up the coffee. We're just getting started talking with Max Chapman. Uh, he is working uh, with a, created a group called More Mercy. We're going to learn more uh, on uh, the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Keeping the topics lively. The conversation civil. This is Friendly Fire with Stu Kurds on the Voice of Lincoln, fourteen hundred and ninety nine three KLIN. We are back. It's Friendly Fire Saturday. I'm talking with Max Chapman. He's the uh, 
What do you want? Founder? What do you want? What the term? Founder, I mean, executive director is technically the title, but yeah, okay. founder, something like that. Of, of uh, <laughs> More Mercy, in which we will uh, we will learn about here as we as we unfold our conversation. But uh, before we get to More Mercy, um, uh, okay, it's a it's a Christian organization promoting Christian, uh, you know, again, community and and discussion and uh, camaraderie. A partnership. Sure. Uh, we'll get more into that in just a second. But uh, well, before you're going to do any of that kind of thing, you have to kind of find Jesus, mm-hmm. <laughs> or Jesus has to find you, sure. or or a little of both. Uh, how would you describe that? Did you grow up in a Christian home, and or, or what was that? What was your experience with Christ like? Oh, thank you for asking. I mm-hmm. I did grow up in a Christian home. I grew up. Uh, my parents were Catholic, and you know, I grew up going to mass on a regular basis, and. Grew up in the Jacksonville, Florida area, so uh, if you're familiar with Tim Tebow, he went to the high school that I later would play at. And I remember um, when I was in middle school, all I wanted to do was be the next Tim Tebow. You could imagine a middle schooler watching Tim Tebow playing high school football. Games are televised on ESPN. You see Urban Meyer and these other coaches in the stands scouting him out. And I mean, it was just thrilling and amazing. And so when I got to be a freshman in high school, I really wanted to be quarterback. Tried out, didn't work out, got moved to third string on the freshman team defensive line. And <laughs> after, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, after a long struggle of trying to get on the field, and again, I had no aspirations of playing in college or NFL or anything like that. I simply just wanted to play in the same field that Tim Tebow played on. And before, um, before a big game my junior year of high school, um, you know, I, I was on the varsity team. My dreams had come true. I was playing, you know, on the same field. Still wasn't very good at that point, I didn't think. And um, before, the night before a big game, I went into the, the church at my home parish. And at that time, I honestly didn't know if you were even allowed to go inside of a church if there wasn't an official service or mass or something going on. And so I, you know, I drove past it. I tried the door. It was open. I go in. I'm on my knees saying, Lord, if, if you're real, please let me do something good in sports for once in my life. Like Help me prove to these you know, people that I can be a really good athlete and you know, help me get a sack or something like that. And the next day, I tied my school's single-game sack record, had five sacks in a game. It really put me on the map for college recruiting. And quite literally, in the next couple of weeks, I started receiving letters in the mail because I had played at this school that Tim Tebow and other big recruits had played from. I was like, wow, this new guy with the five-sack game. Let's give him you know, some opportunities to play in college. And so it was an amazing experience, but you, you know, amazing experience for football. But you better believe I was getting my butt into a church, and I was going to pray every Thursday before a Friday football game. And that was mm. a tradition that carried on. Um, when I got to college, it was honestly one of the threads that kept me connected to you know, going to an actual like, physical church building. And um, I remember it was my red shirt freshman year. Uh, I, you know, that tradition kind of carried on. I, I would go into a church every Friday before a Saturday college football game at Northwestern. And my red shirt freshman year, I went into the church to pray. And when I went there, that was the first time that I met a missionary with Focus, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. Mm. And you know, I met this guy named Derek and. I mean, he was a really nice guy. He, you know, got my phone number. He's like, yeah, let's get together sometime. I'd love to hear more of your story. Like, what are you doing here around the church? And really welcoming. But I honestly just wasn't very interested in that. I, you know, rejected his invitations many times. I never took the time to meet up with him. And, um, you know, I eventually one day finally gave him the chance. I went to Chipotle with him, grabbed some lunch and or dinner. And I remember he asked me a question that was really challenging for me. He, he, <laughs> Something sounds so simple. He goes, "What were you doing in the church that day?" That you were that we met, and I was like, "Well, I, I pray before games. That's what I do." And he said, "Well, how do you pray?" Wow, never really thought about that before. I thought prayer was just kind of like the Hail Mary earlier. You just you kind of throw up this thing, something from me to God, and hope that it sticks somewhere. Um, 
yeah, when I tried to walk through how I pray, he asked me, well, yeah, okay, you talk to God and you ask him to play well, you ask him to help you be safe in the game, but how do you, um, how do you listen to him? That wasn't really a box that I was knew was even possible to check. I didn't even know that there was ways of actually listening to the voice of God in prayer. And so he, what he did from there on out, um, I really equate to the story in Luke chapter 24, the road to Emmaus, where Jesus, he walks alongside the disciples and their eyes are prevented from recognizing him. And, you know, Jesus, what he does is, he, even though their eyes are prevented from recognizing him, he begins to open up the scriptures to them and explaining to them these things. And, um, you know, their hearts begin burning within them where they realize that there's something more. And then mm. I think, you know, then it gets to the point where Jesus seems to be going further and um, they say, please stay with us. You know, don't, don't keep going further, stay with us. And when he goes in to stay with them, it says he went to table and he took bread, blessed it, broke it and gave it to them. And with that, their eyes were opened in the breaking of the bread and they encountered the risen Lord there. Mm-hmm. And I think that friendship with Derek really reminds me so much of that because what he did is he began to walk alongside me and open scriptures to me in a way that was prayerful, you know, taking scripture passages and, um, you know, understanding that this is the word of God. I want to have a relationship with someone. We share words with one another and God mm-hmm. has given his word to us through sacred scripture. And so mm-hmm. when I, you know, just like in any conversation, when you know, someone would speak to me, I'd think about their words and I'd speak back to them. When I read the scriptures, here's an opportunity for this dialogue to take place where I can listen to his word. I can think and pray and, and speak back to him. And it's, it becomes not this monologue of me to God, but it becomes this true dialogue between God and man that's taking place. And I remember just my heart was burning within me. I started meeting with him once a week to pray and I was falling in love with prayer with scripture. And then he invited me to attend a, a conference um, called Seek. It's a focus conference, again, Fellowship of Catholic University Students. And it was down in Orlando, Florida. And that year we played in the Gator Bowl on January 1st. The uh, Cats won. Go Cats. Uh, and then <laughs> January 2nd, that conference started down in Orlando. So after the game, you know, I just got in my car. I drove down to Orlando and um, similar to the story in the road to Emmaus where you know, it began with scripture and then with the sacraments, with the breaking of the bread, mm. it was just this encounter with the risen Lord and the blessed sacrament and the Eucharist, the, the communion that we mm. had re- received. And, um, you know, I had grown up hearing that communion was the body of Christ, but the encounter that I had with Jesus, it was like something really moved from my head to my heart where it was like, wow, you are alive. And it, I can have a relationship not only with you in the in the scriptures, but also in the sacraments as well. And so I, when I got back to campus, I began um, I was starting to go to mass every day and praying with scripture every day. And oh man, I just remember the the intimacy that came from you know going and receiving the Lord in Holy Communion. It was I remember just noticing even just these changes in my schedule where it was you know even if we were having two days practices, I'd look up the nearest you know there was a church that had like a six a.m. or six fifteen mass time that I could get to before my seven a.m. meeting started and. You know, we'd have these long days of football practice. I just, oh man, I just, I loved the opportunity to go to mass and to encounter our Lord in the scripture and the sacraments. And, um, you know, throughout the practices, throughout the day, my heart pounding within my chest, knowing that the Lord's sacred heart is there with me. I mean, that we, I've truly communed with him. I've been put into real contact with him and he knows me and loves me. And yeah, that, that journey throughout college just was this continual deepening of a, a conversion of heart that led from, you know, my own change of habits of this, you know, really striving to turn away from sin and trying to turn towards the Lord to really this missional mindset of, you know, I remember praying with the scripture passage of the harvest is abundant and the laborers are few that pray that the Lord would send out laborers into his harvest. 
and knowing that the gift that I had been given, the intimacy that I had experienced with God through the person of Jesus Christ was not meant to just stay with me, but that it was meant for everyone, that the harvest is abundant, the laborers are few, there have to be people that go out and share this. And in the same way that this message was shared with me of, of the hope of having eternal life and an intimacy with God here and now, it's um, you know an actual freedom from my sinful habits, my cravings, my desires, these things that I felt trapped in as a college student, I actually was experiencing freedom. And that wasn't just for me, that's for everyone. And mm. um, so there just became this more missionary conviction where I ended up, um, you know, leaving Northwestern to um, serve as a Catholic missionary with Focus. And that's how I ended up coming here to the good life of Lincoln, Nebraska. You know, Focus has about you know, at the time it was maybe 150. I think there's about 200 campuses now that uh, Focus serves on and you, when you sign up to serve as a focused missionary, you don't get to pick where you go. And so they, um, maybe because of my, my past experience in athletics and whatnot, but, um, you know, I got sent here to Lincoln, Nebraska. And so for the, the past seven years, I served as a Catholic missionary, um, you know, working primarily with student athletes and others, um, you know, leading Bible studies, discipleship groups, trying to teach people to pray with scripture the way that I was taught, trying to, again, put people into communion with the person of Christ through scripture and the sacraments. And um, yeah, and so it's been just a, a super transformative experience. And I, um, you know, even before coming out here, my I got married. <laughs> so I've been married for about seven years now. And my wife and I, uh, we've, you know, we've had several children. We've got a six-year-old, four-year-old, two-year-old, and we've got another one that's going to be due in December. And yeah, just through the striving to follow the Lord, living as a husband, living as a father, trying to, um, not only grow in holiness and conformity to Christ myself, but trying to, again, share that gift with my family, sharing that gift of of, of faith with others um, has been the most thrilling and extraordinary journey that I ever, never could have imagined. And um, yeah, and I think that it really stems back to, you know, some foundation that was laid through my family, um, <laughs> some sporting events that happened. But really, I think the friendship of that focused missionary was very instrumental of teaching me that scripture and the sacraments was a real way of connecting with God and has really been a trajectory shift that has sent me on this trajectory where I'm, you know, still in full-time ministry, even though I've, I've left focus. So, yeah, yeah. We're going to get a little break when we come back. Uh, then we'll get into more of the nuts and bolts of then that transition from focus to more mercy. And, um, and, um, and, and I've got, uh, I, I, I appreciate a lot of what you're doing through more mercy and uh, my relationship with the bishop kind of goes back to some of those mm. core issues that I think you're trying to work on. Sure. Uh, so we'll take a little break. We'll be right back talking to Max Chapman. He's uh, the executive director of More Mercy. And we're, we're glad to have you along. We'll learn more about that in the next segment. You're listening to The Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns, 1499.3 KLIN. Welcome back. It's Friendly Fire Saturday, talking with Max Chapman. He is uh, the executive director of More Mercy. And we were talking in the last segment about uh, your work on, in Focus, a Catholic outreach uh, uh, mission on, on college campuses, and how God and his, who knows, sense of humor. Uh, with, that's a theme today, isn't it? God's uh, sense of humor. Uh, he, um, but you, you ended up being uh, sent here. Uh, I know that when we talked uh, previously at coffee, you'd mentioned that you had, you had toyed with the idea of perhaps becoming a priest. Mm-hmm. And and I do think that uh, again the priestly calling is a unique sure. calling, and you discern that was that was probably not your calling. Sure. Uh, but ministry was your calling. Yep. And so God opened up this door uh, with focus. Um, as you think, of, 
going all the way back when uh, Bishop Connolly was uh, first came here, I got a chance to meet him at his kind of public. Uh, I'm not sure what they call it, installation or something. Uh, I'm sure there's a much better name for it, but it was it was the event that was public that was open to uh, Protestants, and I got a chance to meet him for the very first time. And uh, a lot of it's a blur. But uh, but the thing that I did remember about those first couple of times meeting him was just both of us uh, agreeing that uh, that there is so much happening, and this was you know a number of years ago. There's just so much happening in the culture that we have virtually identical you know Christian concerns about that we need to increase our partnership. We need to increase uh, our relationship. Uh, so that we're uh, so that we have kind of a more united uh, Christian voice in this community, and that was a concern on both of our parts. Uh, how much of that is is a is somehow embedded into a, a part of what More Mercy is about? Oh, absolutely. I mean the um, I mean Bishop Conley. I mean, yeah, More Mercy would not exist if he did not give his blessing for this ministry to take place. And so he's you know very supportive of this work. Um, even if you go on our website, moremercylincoln.org, you'll see that he wrote a letter that you know, endorses the the efforts and everything so yeah i mean he, he's been instrumental in that but um the yeah that desire for unity the um you know, that movement towards unity among christians it really stemmed i think it was a little over four years ago i began um praying and reflecting on that gospel passage of jesus's prayer in john chapter 17 where mm. he prays for himself he prays for the 12 apostles and then he says i pray not only for them the 12, but for everyone who believes in me through their word, that they may be one as you and I, Father, are one. And I remember just even stopping there. I was so captivated by that prayer, you know, because I, I, doing Catholic missionary work, I was leading a lot of Bible studies in the athletic department. And a lot of people who were coming to Bible studies were not Catholic. They were Christians of other faith traditions, of different denominational backgrounds. And we'd have really deep friendships with one another. We'd have Bible studies together on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, you know, hanging out other times during the week. But then we weren't getting to go to church together. You know, they're going to different churches or, you know, if someone came to mass with me, they weren't able to receive communion. I, if I were to, you know, attend something with them, there might be some obstacles that, you know, so it was, mm-hmm. um, experiencing just the beauty of, wow, what Jesus's prayer for Christians that they may be one as him and the father are one began to, to just capture my mind and my heart. And then it was, I think equally challenging or disturbing because it was that they may be one so that the world may know that you sent me and that you have loved them as you have loved me. And that the the unity of Christians was meant to be some sort of compelling witness to the world, some sort of compelling witness to those who have not yet received the gospel about the truth that God the Father sent his son Jesus into the world and that he loves them as he loves his son. And yeah, just what would that visible unity look like? What could that actually be? And, uh, you know, I'm praying with this passage in John 17 and then, you know, on campus, you know, there's probably like 30 or 35 different campus ministries that exist, uh, you know, partnering with the University of Nebraska and Again, praise God that there are laborers going out into the harvest. But I remember, you know, experiencing some of these different ministry fairs or club fair kind of things, and we're all in kind of the same section, and there's you know, 35 different booths, and we're all waving our flags and saying, hey, please come to my church, come to my church, we're handing out free stuff, you know? And mm-hmm. I, I just was imagining, you know, the while well, I'm just immersing myself in this prayer of our Lord, that they may be one so that the world may know that you sent me. My lived experience was that, you know, we're students looking at the way that the Christian ministries were interacting with one another, saying... Mm-hmm this whole Christian, you know, like look at how one they are. This whole Christian thing must be real. Or did we look like we didn't know each other or that we were in competition with one another? And yeah. it just, it didn't seem to be like the lived reality was um, there. And so, um, yeah, just trying to wrestle with what would that movement towards unity look like? I, 
uh, came across a quote by Pope John Paul II where he says that the movement towards full communion is a dialogue of truth fostered and sustained by a dialogue of love. Mm. And that that's what the, you know, that movement towards full communion among Christians would look like. And so I was like, okay, so you know, I'm, I'm going to start introducing myself to the staff members of different Christian ministries. And, um, and, and truth and love were kind of these pillars of what could actually be a, a healthy movement towards unity. Um, and, and so really it began just like trying to get to know people and inviting them into, the, you know, a virtuous friendship where could we pursue truth together? Could we recognize one another as partners in the pursuit of truth? You know, I know that you're giving up a lot to share the gospel and you know, that you're, you're here, <laughs> you know, you might be fundraising your salary. You're doing a lot. You've left family. You're, you're, you're clearly, you know, someone that's worthy of being a partner in the common pursuit of truth. Like, can we pursue truth together in a way that's, um, you know, very mutually edifying where, where it's not a me versus you, but we're, we're partners and that we're, um, able to ask one another questions to help clarify, you know, things about our faith traditions. Um, but doing so in the context of that dialogue of love where, um, we have a real communion in Christ. And even though it's imperfect and there's real differences because that communion is real, however imperfect, we can still pray with one another, serve the poor together, you know, play sports with one another, share meals together, those kinds of things. And mm-hmm. truth and love became the, these guideposts for these types of relationships. And it was beautiful and very mutually edifying. And um, there was almost this progression that happened where a lot of non-Catholic students, you know, kind of helped me to get to know the different campus ministry leaders that they were involved in. And then, as time was progressing and I got to know more of the campus ministry leaders, several of them would say, Oh, these are, you know, great conversation or, Oh, I'd love to connect you with my pastor. Could I introduce you to X, Y, or Z pastor who is you know, not affiliated directly with the college campus, but was here in the Lincoln area. So there was just kind of the snowball of momentum and prayer and desire going in this direction of you know, moving beyond the college campus and trying to, you know, connect and, and pursue this type of unity with Christian leaders that are, you know, in the greater Lincoln area, not just tied to the University of Nebraska's campus. And so this is all kind of happening in my practical experience. And then on the other side, I was finishing up a master's degree in theology at the Augustine Institute out in Denver. And for my final class, I did an independent directed study specifically on the Catholic Church's teaching on ecumenism, the movement towards unity among Christians. And what I found was just yeah, I mean, a lot of stuff, it just, I'd read it and it'd blow my hair back. I mean, I, I realized I did not need to reinvent the wheel when it comes to, um, you know, living some sort of ecumenical ministry as a Catholic. I mean, the Catholic Church has a lot of official documents that have been released that articulate very concretely what every diocese ought to be doing to strive to move towards restoring Christian unity. You know, the, the truth and love still is the, the guidepost in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, from Vatican II onward, there are a lot of different documents, you know, things that were released, like the decree on ecumenism was really instrumental, or um, the Pontifical Council for Promoting Christian Unity has a document called the Directory for the Applications and Principles and Norms of Ecumenism. It was released when John Paul II was there, mm-hmm. or, or was Pope. Um, there's another one called the Bishop in Christian Unity and Ecumenical Vatimaicum, like this handbook, or let me walk you through, you know, how mm-hmm. to do this. And they have very concrete things that, you know, a dialogue of truth. Here are practical ways within a diocese that you could facilitate a dialogue of truth between Catholic parishes and the other Christian communities of different faith traditions. And dialogue of love, this is what it could look like. You know, priests or pastoral assistants, you're strongly encouraged to meet with other Christian ministers that live and work in your neighborhood for prayer, or the study of scripture, these things. Like, wow, this is beautiful. You know, every diocese encouraged to have a, a diocesan ecumenical officer, someone who collaborates with the bishop and you know, approaches non-Catholic Christian communities and tries to foster these local relationships. I mean, it was just so beautiful and mapped out. So I just found myself 
copying and pasting and <laughs> making an outline. And I, I did my final project on um, basically taking the Catholic Church's ecumenical documents and translating them into a ministry that would be repeatable within a diocese. Mm-hmm. And um, during, uh, again, the time of study, my practical experience of starting to network and meet a lot more of these pastors, I made this outline and I brought it to Bishop Conley last year. And um, I believe it was actually the the month that he was on your show. So it was kind of mm. fun that <laughs> he's been even mm-hmm. thinking about um, you know, his relationships with Christians from other faith traditions and whatnot. And yeah, just beautiful conversation. He gave you know us his blessing to start this ministry. And yeah. um, so really what we're, we're trying to do is just appropriating the Catholic Church's teachings on ecumenism, that movement towards unity to the local context that, you know, we, we want the movement towards unity among Christians, not to just be among really high ranking officials, you know, that are not saying that in ivory towers. I mean, that, those conversations are important and they have an important place, but to help equip the laity and to help equip, um, you know, pastors of Catholic or non-Catholic traditions to, you know, build practical bridges between our communities. And to, mm-hmm. what would the, a dialogue of truth and love look like at the local level between say a Catholic priest at a parish and a, you know, a, a pastor of a different Christian tradition that live and work within the mm-hmm. same neighborhoods or parish boundaries as um, kind of that geographical area or neighborhood where, where an individual church would be. Yeah. All yeah. right. Let's take one last break. When we come back, uh, we'll do a little shameless plug and we'll talk. Uh, I'm, I'm sure my listeners, again, there are probably some resonating with what you're saying. There's probably a few who are saying, yeah, but, and so we'll see if we can address a couple of those. Yeah. buts. Sure. And, uh, 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 again, uh, I think we all need to wrestle with Jesus' words. Uh, this is Jesus' prayer, that we would be unified in such a way, that we'd love one another in such a way that people would, that that would be a witness to the truth uh, of, of Christ and his gospel. Uh, so uh, let's, let's dig into that after one little break here. You're listening to The Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Bringing you local voices to break down the news of the week. Friendly Fire with Stu Kurds on The Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Rolling right along on a Saturday morning. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday talking with Max Chapman. He is uh, the founder and executive director of a ministry called More Mercy. And Max, it is the time of the program where we always do a shameless plug. So I say plug away, remind us of of uh, the website and all that good stuff. Sure. So the website is moremercylincoln.org, uh, more with one O, M-O-R-E, mercylincoln.org. And yeah, I mean, what we're really trying to do, especially in this first phase, is we're connecting with a lot of different Christian communities, you know, pastors or leaders that are that belong to Christian communities that you know do not identify as Roman Catholic, you know, and we're networking and connecting mm-hmm. with a lot of different non-Catholic Christian communities. And the hope is that once we have more of a reciprocal relationship established that there's uh, not just us reaching out to you, but that there's actually a reciprocal desire to deepen our communion in Christ, you know, through this you know, dialogue of truth and love of meaningful theological discussions within some sort of practical structure, you know, personal relationships, bridges being built between communities. If that's reciprocated, mm-hmm. the second phase of this is to turn to the Catholic parishes that are within these neighborhoods and saying, Hey, we actually, you know, me has in some ways representing the Catholic Church. We have a stat like we we have um, you know, established friendly relationships with the non-Catholic Christian leaders that are in your neighborhood, and then to invite Catholics that are at comparable levels of formation into that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, if you're a whether whether you're a, a non-Catholic Christian, uh, you know, Catholic Christian, either 
if you're a Christian that desires to grow in, you know, your practical knowledge of the other Christian leaders that live and work in your neighborhood, please go to our website and you can uh, fill out a contact form. Again, moremercylincoln.org, or you can email me, max at moremercylincoln.org is an email that you can reach me at. But yeah, I would love to connect with you. And again, there's already been, we've been going at it for about a month and a half now, and there's about 17 or 18 different Christian communities that are already, you know, willing to work with us. And, you know, it's, you know, growing. There's a number of different meetings that even happening this week that I think that number is going to continue to grow. And um, yeah, we're just, we're building up a really beautiful network of Christian leaders that desire to move towards a greater degree of communion of what Jesus prays for in John 17. And, and again, just at the heart of this is, is not just trying to kumbaya with people or water down doctrine or, you know, not, not to avoid any of the extremes, but to remember that the Lord's prayer is that they may be one so that the world may know that you sent me, that this is a, a way of moving towards a greater degree of communion for the sake of sharing the gospel in a compelling way by our witness to those who have not yet received the gospel, that p- the world would be able to look at the Christians in our neighborhood and the relationships that they have and say, they have something that's unique and distinct, and I want to be a part of that. That's attractive. Like, you know, did the father really send his son and, and establish something that I can be a part of? Like, we, we want to be giving that kind of witness to the people that are in our communities. And I, I really trust that more mercy is going to continue to be an avenue that's going to be a beacon of light for people that um, will God willing be a compelling witness to others that um, there's something distinct about the gospel message and something very deep that unites us more than anything in this world. Yes. Yes. Got about four minutes left. The uh, so, so one of the yeah, buts there is something that I've, cause I, I get to know a lot of different pastors, a lot of different, you know, Christian traditions and uh, we all have our differences, you know, there and but the most profound differences sometimes feel like because of, you know, 500 years of of Protestantism is <laughs> like the 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 Catholic Protestant divisions feel the most uh, challenging um, because they probably have been the most challenging in many ways. Uh, uh, but uh, to those who are afraid that. um that okay, if I but but if I go along with Max and I'm just gonna, then there, I'm gonna have to give up all my all the important doctrine that I believe, and uh, and I'm and I'm gonna I'm gonna be asked eventually to to compromise on sure. things that I believe are are really significant yep. uh, from from the text of Scripture. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, how would you begin to answer that? Uh, that's a great question, and I, I think honestly, the uh, even when people have very strong, different theological convictions, the honest pursuit of truth is something that can be very uniting for people when you're partners in the pursuit of truth. And what I found is, yeah, there's an opportunity where you're going to be learning about other people's faith traditions, but in my own experience, and I know from some of the pastors that I've met with already, um, there's this pleasant surprise where you find yourself learning actually a lot more about your own. You know, I, I remember being asked these questions, you know, Max, why do Catholics do this? Why do Catholics believe that? And yeah, that's a great question. I don't know. And then I, you know, find myself fumbling through the catechism or different church documents. I'm like, oh, this is why the Catholic Church teaches this. And then I, you know, find myself leading a Catholic Bible study, and I'm able to preach, teach mm-hmm. Catholic doctrine with a lot more precision than I would have been able to. And I remember there was a, a non-Catholic pastor I used to, you know, meet with regularly before he moved to a different city, and he said, uh, he's like, Max, our conversations they have saved me thousands of dollars of having to go back to seminary because I feel like I you have forced me to do more reading than I've done since I was in school, you know, and and that there's something to, um, yeah, I don't want to believe what I believe just because I'm you know I'm attached to it. I want to believe it because it's true. And again, if there's a you know an open you know to compromise on truth is the last thing we ever want to do for the sake of unity. You know, we we need to be honestly, brutally, on, with brutal honesty pursuing the truth. 
and that shouldn't be something that we'd be afraid of because our Lord revealed, you know, he said, I am the truth. And the honest pursuit of truth, I think is, again, it's the honest pursuit of conformity with Christ, who is the fullness of the truth. Yeah. There, uh, one other last thing, just again, a minute left here. The, uh, the whole idea of, again, unity in Christ, mm-hmm. that there are, again, I've I've got my differences with Baptists, with Methodists, sure. with Lutherans, with you know Episcopalians. I've got I'm I you know, I've I've got all those differences if I want to you know get right down to the nitty gritty, but but at the core of the core, we're talking really about the person and work of 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 Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. uh, really foundational, creedal, uh, uh, you know, trin- trinitarian kind of things. Mm-hmm. And is that is that fair to say that that's kind of the 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 key uh, that unlocks any kind of unity? Absolutely. Christ himself is our unity. That's a direct quote from a, several different of those Catholic Church documents that I cited earlier. And I, I think even the the first three sentences of the Catechism of the Catholic Church are three scripture verses where, you know, it goes through John seventeen three that this is eternal life, that they know you, Father, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. First Timothy 2, 3, and 4 about how God desires all men to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. And then Acts four twelve there's no other name under heaven by which we will be saved uh, other than the name of Jesus. And mm-hmm. any sort of salvation comes from the person of Jesus Christ through his body, the church. And that's what we're, <laughs> we're going after is trying to delve more deeply into the communion with the person of Jesus Christ. All right. That is uh, very, very succinctly and well said. Thanks for being here today, Max. Thank you so much. This I, is an honor. I appreciate it. Uh, there's so much to think about there. Dig into the website, moremercylincoln.org. And uh, and again, we didn't solve everything today, but I think we gave you some stuff to think about. Uh, love and truth and the person and work of Jesus as described in Holy Scripture. Uh, that's a great starting point. Uh, good to be with you today. I leave you seeing as I always do to think about it, talk about it. We'll see you next week. Uh,